Amen. You know, I have to tell you personally how much I enjoy coming to this church. That's not a rip. I've been in churches of 20, 30,000 people even. But I'd rather be here to worship the Lord. Uh, the worship of this church is a blessing to my heart. And I'm not an idiot about music either. I have a son who was in Guitar Magazine. They called him the White Jimi Hendrix. We have a lot of music in our home. And uh, I want to say to David Talbot, uh, I got several of your albums last time and took them home to my wife. She listens to you all the time now. And one thing we both like about you is the strength that you exhibit when you hit that piano. I don't know, maybe it's a long-time problem you've had in your life. Uh, I don't <laughs> but seriously, pick up some of those albums and take them home. They're just fabulous. And uh, we enjoy them greatly. And uh, thanks for coming, David. You make this conference ring with the praises of the Lord. God bless you. Well, how do we get into the issue of Babylon is an interesting question. Uh, an old guy who was in school with me, which means I'm old also, but anyway, an old guy came up to me at a conference where I was. He said, David, I recall that you did a doctoral dissertation on Babylon and the gods of Babylon. I said, yeah, that's right, but who wants to hear about that? He says, well, apparently God does. He put a lot of it in the Bible. And I got to thinking about it. Uh, most of what we have seen about Babylon are little articles or a little pamphlet or something else, but we really aren't learning what the problem is. The problem hasn't gone away. Babylonianism is here and it's infiltrated our churches. Now, I don't know if you know about this. Well, you probably don't because this book, you are the first ones to see it. It just got finished. It's called Babylon, It's History and Prophecies. I gave it to a few of my friends in the ministry, and every one of them said, this is unbelievable. They never saw what God has in his word in the way it is. I guess it's because there's a lot of other prophetic subjects that are important. Let me read you what's on the back. Babylon is mentioned 286 times in the Bible, including its origin, its early beginnings in the Mesopotamian Valley. The first ruler was named Nimrod, and according to a multitude of legends, his wife's name was Semiramis. She was known as the Queen of Heaven. Her story is a remarkable insight into what paganism is all about. And her idolatry and immorality were well known in ancient history. The religion of Babylonianism has penetrated all nations of the earth, according to the Bible. And this religious system has seduced and deceived the entire world for over 4,000 years. It is primarily a religious belief and practice that has affected past empires 
and most of the kings who have ruled this planet. The Babylonian religious system will culminate in its diabolical seduction of all nations and will challenge the heart and soul of Christian belief and practice. This book is a serious study that warns us all. I want every one of you, if I had enough money, I would give you all a copy of it. Some of you are going to be shocked by it. I've had that experience already as people that are in our ministry have got an advanced copy. They've been reading it. Uh, one man whom I trust his wisdom greatly and his theological understanding is very strong. He said to me, David, this may be the most important book you have ever written in your life. And he may be right. It's going to scare some of God's people. Um, well, I'm not going to tell you anymore, except that Babylonianism is affecting you and me all the time. And you're going to be shocked to see what it is in the present church of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what is it? Well, we drove quite a ways to come to the conference. <laughs> well, buy the book. Okay. Some of you noticed there were some new books there. I have been writing like a fiend. I got a habit of writing, and um, I've been enjoying it immensely for my own sake, let alone for the people of God. Some of you know that about 20 years ago, I wrote a book called The Coming World Leader, which became a bestseller on the book of Revelation. Dr. John Walvert of Dallas told me it was the best thing he'd ever written, and he said, you can use that remark because I also wrote one on Revelation. And he did. An excellent book. Well, uh, it wasn't that it was bad. It, it, it wasn't that it, it was complete. It, it wasn't enough. And so I've been working for quite a while now on an expanded version. Of, I can hardly lift it. The book of Revelation, Understanding the Future. No longer 250 pages. 576 pages. Um, at our conference in August when I introduced it, uh, we sold nearly a thousand of these books and people have been writing me letters about it saying how their minds and hearts have been strangely warmed by what we wrote. And uh, that's back there. Uh, hopefully there's enough copies for you. And then the pastor here has been preaching on Romans. I wish I could say I did this for you. But it take me 10 years to finish this. I finished this this summer. And I've already given you the copy you needed. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, Study in Romans. And uh, this is changing lives for which I'm very thankful. Uh, one more thing at this session. We every year have a Jewish calendar. And they're very popular and we sell them easily. Right now, I think all I have left is back there on the table. Uh, I think this is one of the more beautiful ones that we've had done. By the way, I was just in Israel, as you know, a couple weeks ago. 
and I saw this calendar on several Jewish bookstore tables. So you don't have to pay $15 for it. You can go to Israel and pay 38 <laughs> I felt kind of funny seeing the price of it. But anyway, um, I did most of the work of this. And uh, people are taking credit for it, which is fine. To God be the glory. But in the back... We put all the feasts of the Lord and connected it all for you as it relates to Messianic prophecy. And that is one of the outstanding features of this. And uh, beautiful pictures that you can frame, filled with scripture. Um, That's it. I'm sorry. We always run out before Christmas and holidays where people want to get things. So if I were you, I would pick one up and uh, have it in your possession. Now, we're going to deal, as you can see very clearly, with four subjects related to Babylon. I think a lot of the problem here, why we haven't had more books on it, is because there's such disagreement, and there's also a lack of understanding about certain things that are said in the Bible about Babylon. One of which is that Babylon has seduced every nation that ever lived on the face of the planet. That's quite a statement. It comes from God Almighty. Apparently, he wanted us to pay more attention to what is in the Bible about Babylon. So we're going to start with the history of Babylon. There is plenty uh, in the book in addition to what I'm going to tell you tonight. A lot. One of the things that the church seems to be ignorant of is the wife of Nimrod, who is mentioned in the Bible. Semiramis is her name. God chose not to mention her, though he did mention her as the queen of heaven, which is not a positive term, it's a negative term. And she is responsible for a lot more than maybe you understand. For years, the first known empire in the world was Egypt. But a lot of us who knew in our Bibles that it started in the Mesopotamia Valley could not possibly be Egypt as the first empire. The Bible tells you what the first empire is, And it was in the Mesopotamian Valley, what uh, people call Sumeria. And by the way, that name comes from Semiramis, this woman. Out of all the legends about the past, dealing with the flood and dealing with uh, the beginnings of history, it's astonishing to me how many pastors have never studied the subject from the standpoint of mythological literature. Why? Well, I'll tell you that by way of an illustration. Uh, Years ago, I debated the subject of creation and evolution on the university campuses of California. I know you don't remember. I'm an old person. But I remember them very well. I remember Berkeley. 
I remember a lot of the universities in California and what was going on. And one of the things, as I offered myself to debate professors on this subject, I would often say to them, you know, we have 220 mythological documents that speak of a flood and that only eight people survived it. And all this laughter you have had already in our seminar about a worldwide flood that destroyed the planet, we have the evidence you don't. Now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt there was a flood. And now we can understand Second Peter 3 and why God tells us that these who are teaching otherwise are in rebellion to what they know is the truth. If there were 220 mythological legends, folks, then the chances are that there probably was a flood. Duh. Are you all listening? The fact that God did not mention Nimrod's wife, who lived to be 102, does not mean she did not exist. There are plenty of folks in, in history who are not in the Bible who actually existed. And what you learn, even in the first section on the history of Babylon from this book, is going to shake you up a little bit. The fact is, it's still with us today. And God said so. I don't know why we didn't listen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis in the Hebrew Bible is called Bereshish. Bereshish is the opening of our Bibles in Hebrew, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning is Bereshish. God created the heavens and the earth. I like to say case closed. You, all of you, are the result of the creative power of Almighty God. And you, all of you, regardless of what you have believed, are accountable to the God who made the human race. He has a plan for the whole thing, including what's going on now. You know, I am thankful for one thing. Our government is deeply disturbed over what's happening now. They're scared to death. And already, in the first week of a brand new Congress, somebody yelled out from the floor, We should read the Bible! <laughs> it's my prayer that the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible will start to dominate the Congress of the United States of America. They're trying to figure out why all the election happened as it did. And I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or Independent or whatever you are. I just want you to know that everything that they've come up with so far is a lie. I'll give you an example. Right on the news, the night before last. Well, the reason the Democrats lost all these things is because the Democrats didn't go out to vote. They're trying to sell the Democrats on that 
And now the next day, they brought out the figures, and it turns out more Democrats voted at midterm elections than they ever have in their history. You have any other views? You know, folks, the nation is tired of the direction that we were going. And the nation, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, voted, get out of here and give us some men who have character, who have the love of God and the Bible, and they are upset. Oh, it is amazing how America has all of a sudden awakened. Awakened to what? Several of the journalists who are very astute and more intellectual than others have said that it appears that somebody from out of our solar system has shaken our people. They don't even know what is happening, but they are scared to death. They have never seen fear in the electorate as it is now. People say, well, it's that ISIS. Listen, we've had radical Islam since the 6th century. I've just written on a, an article on our website about the Islamic hypocrisy. You need to read it. In HFT Connect, which is a weekly e-letter that you have to sign up for on the front page of our website, you will find one about Arab propaganda and the lies that are being told. Hey, folks, every day I was in Israel, I saw the lies. It doesn't matter whether it's CNN or Associated Press or whatever. They are all anti-Israel. They think by being pro-Islam that somehow we will be protected. No, we won't. And that's what's troubling a lot of our military. They know we won't. Things are going to change, folks. You're going to see some radical changes being made on our military strategy about this matter. It is a serious time. They said our bus was uh, the victim of rock throwing. Well, that's a lie. There were no rocks thrown at our bus. They said that the Islamics were so mad at us going to the Temple Mount to, to be up there that they were yelling and screaming and throwing stuff at us. Another lie. We had a wonderful day up in the Temple Mount. And the Muslims were very warm to us. Lies. They tell them every day. Oh, and that Israel has been killing children. No, the facts came out yesterday. Israel only knows of one child that died from their efforts in the Gaza War. And it was a Jewish child. Oh, but Hamas was lining them up using children to somehow handle the attacks of Israel. Oh, those attacks, they said, came as surprises and shocks 
Lie, 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 lie. Israel's the only nation on earth that informs its enemies that it's going to shoot them tomorrow. Well, folks, we're beginning tonight a series of messages that I hope you can be here for every one of them. The church has graciously allowed that these be put on their website, gracebibleonline.org. And we thank you for doing that. So after our conference is over, if you missed any of it, maybe you can look at them on the website. Do you have your Bibles open to Genesis 10? I gave you time. (laughs) And Cush begat Nimrod, verse 8. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let's build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. Babel means confusion. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. A few opening remarks. Babylon is mentioned... 286 times in the Bible. Twelve usages are found in the New Testament. Six of those are in the book of Revelation. The word Babel is used twice. Genesis 10.10 that we just read and chapter 11 verse 9. Most of these references are referring to the massive and beautiful city of the Neo-Babylonian period which ran from 625 to 539 B.C. It was known for its famous hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The Greek historian Herodotus 
who lived in the 5th century B.C., reported upon visiting Babylon that its splendor surpassed any city of the known world. Wow, it's incredible. It was the capital also of the 18th century King Hammurabi. He was known throughout history as a person who emphasized culture and religion. But it was Nebuchadnezzar II, described in the book of Daniel, who reigned from 605 down to 562 B.C., who brought Babylon to the glory that the world decided to call it the the palace of heaven and earth, the seat of kingship. According to Daniel 4.30, Nebuchadnezzar boasted, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Well, from a human point of view, we can understand. Ancient Babylon covered an area of 1,000 acres, making it the largest city of the ancient world, some 15% larger than Nineveh of Assyria. It had 1,179 temples, a population of over 100,000, but it could have easily handled over 250,000 people. The famous Eastar Gate on display at the Oriental Museum in Chicago was 70 feet high, its arched opening 15 feet wide. Babylon's most significant temple was called Isagila, the temple that raises its head. It was supposedly the home of the god Marduk, According to the cuneiform documents that we have, the temple was surrounded by an enclosure of about 1,410 feet by 720 feet, and it housed over 50 other temples and shrines that we discovered. It's interesting to read the comment in Jeremiah, chapter 50, verse 38. It says, it is the land, Babylon, of graven images. They are mad upon their idols. You may not know it, but over 6,000 figures, idols, were uncovered in the excavations of ancient Babylon. Even the archaeologists were astounded, shocked by what they saw. There were ten major altars in the city to which people were required to go. There were 180 open-air shrines for Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess of sex and fertility. There were 200 identifiable places for other deities discovered, and of course there could have been a lot more. Adjacent to the temple of Isagila was the tower or the ziggurat named Etemenenaki. Um, 
I hope you're listening because you can't go home until you pass the test. <laughs> but seriously, it's interesting. I know as I'm speaking that a lot of you have never heard any of this. That ziggurat still stands in the Mesopotamian Valley. In fact, having flown over the area myself, I counted 24 different ziggurats in the Mesopotamian Valley. The ziggurat called Etemenaki, the biggest of all, was called the foundation house of heaven and earth. It measured 300 feet square at the base and rose in seven stages to a height of 300 feet. Many scholars believe that it was the reconstructed and restored original Tower of Babel mentioned in Genesis 11. The Babylonians taught and believed that it was built by the gods. So what's the first empire in the world? Nimrod's kingdom had several cities as a part of it. And it began to dominate everything that man had invented or constructed. So I decided in trying to help people understand the history. Which, by the way, will eventually lead us to mystery, Babylon the Great. We'll talk about it tomorrow morning. You know, Revelation 17 and 18, which has fascinated Bible scholars throughout the centuries. We'll look at it in detail tomorrow. So to begin with, I want you to see seven things about the biblical origin of Babylon that will help all of us to understand what we're talking about and how it has influenced the entire world. Are you ready? Number one, it was a result of an attempt to establish a kingdom that would rebel against God's authority. Even the name Nimrod means rebellion. His wife, Semiramis, was the first high priestess of the Babylonian mystery religion. And her influence began to dominate. She eventually had her husband, Nimrod, killed because he became very suspicious about the child that he knew was not his own, named Tammuz worshipped throughout the ancient world. So that's the first thing that we see. A person behind this effort, Nimrod, the whole man and his culture and his work and his empire was a rebellion against God. In addition to the person behind this effort, a second thing I'd bring to your attention about this attempt was the power that he exercised in the earth. The Bible calls him a mighty one in the earth and a mighty hunter before the Lord. But the little word before, just one letter in Hebrew, is often and more often than not translated by the word against. And that is more appropriate for what is discussed in the Bible. Nimrod was against the Lord and a mighty hunter. 
In the book, you will find the documentation from mythological literature that Nimrod was very strong, possibly one of the first giants on the land. He was known as a leopard killer, and he would do it in public to show people his enormous strength. The third thing is the project that he undertook. It says the beginning of his kingdom, not their kingdom, but his kingdom was Babel, Babylon. So the first thing that you and I know from the Bible is that this was an attempt to establish a kingdom that would rebel against the authority of God himself. Now what evidence did they have of what had happened previous to that? And the answer is eight people. Noah, his sons, and their wives. They were still there to talk to them this post-flood generation about what had happened and why. I'd like to say to you all, that it seems apparent to me in the book of Genesis that what God wants are altars of sacrifice and not towers of human achievement. Hello? The second thing is it was a rebellion against the specific command of the Lord. You say, what command? The command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Instead, they want to bring everybody together. They don't want to see them scattered. Deuteronomy 1.26 says, They rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. You want to understand Babylonianism? It's a rebellion against the commands of God. And it has infiltrated the church to a degree yours truly would never have believed when I started. Things are so out of control now, I'm having to investigate very much in detail every speaker that I have at any prophecy conference to make sure they haven't flaked out from the last time I had them. It is unbelievable what, what, what good men who knew the Word of God, what they're saying now, what they're doing now, what they're proposing now, There's only one way I can explain it to you. The devil who deceives the whole world has gotten into their system and their ministry and their hearts. It's unbelievable. I'm not going to go into the details of that, but it probably would be a worthwhile session for you to hear. The fact of the matter is we are seeing good men who love the Word of God and we're teaching the truth all of a sudden are on another track. And it's incredible. I know this personally. I've been contacted by many of those people asking if I would speak for them. And my answer is no, no, no. The same answer I gave to the head of the Republican Party. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I need, some of you are going to think I'm lying. I've been contacted by the Republican Party to become the head of the party in California 
and to represent it in 2016 in Orlando, Florida. They call my home four times a week. They have written three to five letters every week. They're using every known appeal and asking me, say, David, we need you to do it. We got to have somebody who's old and been around the block. <laughs> Secondly, we, you know. My last call with the head of the Republican Party, Mr. Priest, he said, David, I don't understand this. This is a great opportunity for you. I said, no, I don't want to step down from what I'm doing. He said, step down? How could this be a step down? I said, I think God wants me to continue to teach the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Well, this would be an opportunity for you. No, you'd have to change your entire program. What are you talking about? Well, I happen to have gotten a copy, I think you sent it to me, trying to persuade me, of the platform that you are suggesting for the new Republican Party. He said, well, didn't that attract you in some way? I said, no, it made me cry and pray for you all the more. You see, most of what you have said is going to be the new platform of the new Republican Party. I am against like what? I said, well, you already know some of them. I'm against abortion. Well, you can compromise and say only in the third semester. No. You see, God made sure that I would know what the Bible teaches. And so he gave me two grandchildren, beautiful girls, each one of them born in the first trimester at one pound. They wanted to abort them. And that's the pro-life hospital in Santa Monica. And I'm thankful for my son. His tactics may not be always the best, but he said to the doctors, if you touch my babies, I'll kill you. <laughs> I said, there, there may be another way to say that, you know. But I sure was proud of him. They are now seven and six years old. Beautiful babies. They've never been touched. Those one pound, the one I even had in my wedding ring, stuck the baby in there and took a picture of it. You know, folks, um, it's about time we wake up and start believing what God said. I'm against same-sex marriage. Why? They can't produce any kids. What are you talking about? So they're going to steal the ones that we are, out of normal marriages have? What is going on here? I love homosexuals. We got tons of them. We got over 8,000 names out of this Bay Area, and they are mostly homosexual. And I have been to their community, and I have preached to them, and I've told them about the love of God, and that they, if they will turn to the Lord, can repent of their sin. And now I got pastor friends saying, well, that isn't very tolerant. <laughs> hey, the theology is not toleration that we believe. It's what God says. Homosexuality is just as bad as adultery and incest. All of the junk that's mentioned in God's word in the list of sins in the Bible. But don't make any mistake about it. 
what God says is sin is still sin. Right now, some of you probably are deciding to check out a coming tomorrow. It's going to get worse, you know that. I'm just warming up. They said in chapter 11, verse 4, Let's build us a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. It was a revolt against the worship of the Lord. That's number three. Thank you. Boy, they're, they're all doing real good back there. I notice also they said, let's make us a name. Did you catch that? You see, what Babylonianism is a response, number four, that is rooted in pride and the glorification of man. It still is. Number five, you say, what is Babylonianism? It's a reminder of God's control and sovereignty over all the events of human history. Did you know that God knows everything? He knows how many of you are sitting there saying, you know, I don't like this speaker. <laughs> it reminds us, folks, of God's knowledge of all humanity does. For the Lord God went down to see what they were doing never forget. It reminds us of his majesty also, because the Bible says, let us go down. Us? Where'd that come from? I called up the local rabbi in our town, and I said, Rabbi, I want to ask you a question. So what's that? What does the Bible mean when it says, let us go down? And see this tower. Oh, he says that's a um, that's a majestic plural. A majestic plural. Well, does it mean there's more than one? He said. Well, some people argue that uh, they speak of the Trinity, but the Trinity is a bad word. I said I agree. He said you do. Yeah. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. We don't believe in three gods. He said, well, we're thankful for that, aren't we? I said, hey, Rabbi, let's, let's, let's talk Turkey. This isn't the only passage that uses us. So who's he talking to? He's talking to angels. No, he's not, because the angels don't create, and they don't have the power to, and that's something you guys teach. Who's he talking about when he says, let us go down? Or let us make man in our image and after our likeness. He then quotes me Deuteronomy 6, which I knew he would. The Lord our God is one Lord. Yeah. Well, the word is akad. It's also used in Genesis 2.24. When it tells us about a man should leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too shall be a God, one. So can a God mean more than one? Yes, it can. Does the Hebrew have a word which means one and only one? Yes, it's not used in those texts. So in the famous phrase that every synagogue in the world says, 
every Shabbat. The Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. But one can be more than one. It isn't Trinity, it's tri-unity. That God is able to manifest himself as a father, a son, and as the Holy Spirit. He said, you know, I've never heard it put that way. I said, well, you have now. So now you're accountable for what I told you. I bet you wish right now I didn't call you. It not only reminds us of the majesty of God, it reminds us of God's power. Because it says, they confounded their language that they may not understand one another's speech. God did that. Hey, I like to read some of the mythological literature, not because I have confidence in it, but because it is indirectly supportive of the Bible's message. For instance, in the Sumerian third dynasty of Ur, I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but that document says that people once spoke one language until Enki, the Sumerian god of wisdom, confounded their speech. I love reading that stuff because I can tell they knew the truth, but were revolting against it. It also reminds us of God's purposes, number four, because God scattered them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Let me give you another one, number six. This Babylonian empire of Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis. It was a reason for believers to resist all attempts to establish a world religion and government without the Messiah. All the way through history, is Babylonianism affecting the nations of the world in this regard? Absolutely. They want to establish a world without God, without the Messiah. We don't need the Messiah. And that's a danger in Israel, by the way. There are plenty in Israel who want the acceptance of the world more than they want to be loyal to God. But I thank the Lord for the prime minister they have, Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu. People are trying to get rid of him. So you know what he did? He started a Bible study in his home for members of the Knesset and his cabinet. People said, oh, they'll never come. Oh, I don't know. Last Saturday night, there were 70 people there. Almost the entire cabinet and administration. You know what they're doing? They started in Genesis 1-1. Some of the best stuff I've ever heard about creation, they were teaching. And you know what Netanyahu's now saying? If only all the homes of Israel would go back to the Bible and study the Bible in their homes. He said, perhaps the Lord God of Israel would intervene and grant us victory over our enemies. Which, of course, he has promised. Let me give you one more. Number seven. What is Babylonianism 
It is a realization that salvation is by faith in the Messiah, not upon man-made religion and human works. You say, do they believe that? They realize it very strongly. Here's a quote from a church leader of evangelical churches. For years we have told people they must believe in the Messiah. But who are we to dictate who the Messiah is? The fact of the matter is, by our own efforts we can bring in the kingdom of God on earth. I don't know if you know your church history, but that's old time liberalism. They've already rejected the Bible. Seven years ago, I went to a conference in Canada where people were protesting outside. And um, I walked up to them and I said, well, what are you guys protesting? They said, oh, the speaker, he is really wacko. <laughs> is he now? He said, he's very dangerous. And we need to alert the people to it. I said, well, how's it going? People are walking right by us. It's like they don't care what we say. Well, maybe all of you guys, how many are there of you? Oh, about 40 with your signs and all. Uh, why don't you go in there, you know, be ready. Go into the meeting where this wacko preacher is. I said, yeah, that's what I would do. In fact, I'm, I'm going in. You guys can come with me if you want. You know, it's, it's one of my funny stories. I have a lot of funny stories. But here are 40 people who are lining up behind me. They put their signs on the ground, and they're marching in with me. And I'm looking back. Oh, you guys here? we got to find 40 seats, you know. So I found a section over here. Hey, we can sit over here. And um, can you imagine what their faces look like? when they called on me to come up to preach. And I said, uh, excuse me, I'm going to have to go up there now and talk. And the one guy right behind me said, oh my God, it's him! <laughs> I was just there in September. We had over 2,000 people and there was nobody protesting. They were shouting glory. Because the truth of the matter is, we saw a whole group of people, Winnipeg, Manitoba, those are Mennonites, and they control the Human Rights Commission of the UN, and they are the primary people who are anti-Israel and giving off false information. So I agreed to talk to them afterwards. As soon as I finish, I'll talk to you. It was two more hours with him. One lie after another. We just sat there and answered him from the Bible. And now I see those people, the same people who opposed me, are now supporting me. And our ministry is growing like wildfire. We were five times in Canada. God started this by putting a man in office named Stephen Harper who was born again and pro-Israel, and God bless him. 
the last time I was in Canada in September, I told all the people, I have a deal to make with all of you. They said, what's that? I give you Obama for Stephen Harper. <laughs> 2,000 people stand up and say, no, no, no. I said, hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You see, the truth is the opposition knows that the Bible teaches it's only by faith in the Messiah. The Bible says neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we got church leaders all over North America right now saying God will not hold back his salvation just because you don't agree. The name of the game is toleration. Don't preach against anybody who's teaching the wrong thing. You see, we want the approval and praise of men more than the praise of God. That's the bottom line right there. I have actually confronted pastors that I knew who have compromised their ministry. And they have all kinds of reasons. One is their salary. One is their retirement. One is they don't want to oppose a board that is already way wacko on these matters. You know what? We need Bible-preaching pastors in this country who are unafraid. If we lose our jobs, so what? By the way, you're looking at somebody who's lost his job several times. So what? Right now, they think I'm dead, gone, and buried. Well, God had something else in mind. So he put me on his channel. I speak every week to 152 countries, and the audience is now over 25 million people. I never would have dreamed this would happen. I don't know how long it will stay there, and I don't want to be proud or boastful about it. I just want you to know don't worry about me. I'm going to... You know, if I lose my teeth, I'm going to gum it to death. It's the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And that's what this world needs. I just started tonight. I haven't told you anything really bad. But I told you about the root of it. It's a rebellion against God. And that's why the guy's name is Nimrod. Let's have a word of prayer. And tomorrow, 9 o'clock, we start the most unusual message probably you've ever heard on the king of Babylon. I'm going to show you passages that people interpret in exact opposite manner. I think you'll find it very interesting. Let's pray. Father, you know all of us so well. You know more than any of us have ever found out about ourselves. You have told us the truth. I pray, dear Lord, that during this weekend, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to work on many of us that we'll begin to see as we walk through this Babylonian deception 
how it has affected all of us in our churches. Help us, Lord, to understand. And I pray that those who are here in our meeting tonight who know that something is really wrong and who are not sure of their own relationship to you, and it seems like we get more insecure with every passing day with all the variant opinions of people. Lord, I pray by your powerful Holy Spirit you would break the shackles of Babylonianism in our lives. That we realize where it's coming from and what we need to do about it. And I pray that those listening who are not sure of their relationship with you might cry out to you, the living God and only God, to save their souls from sin, rebellion, wickedness of every kind. Thank you that we have a Savior, a Redeemer. Your entire Bible speaks of it who will save us from our sin, cleanse us from our iniquity. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, our Savior, the Messiah of Israel. And it's in the blessed name of our Lord that we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Pastor?